everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. Today on the podcast, I'm talking about the 2020 K-drama Itaewon Class. Um, I will warn you guys that uh, my cat is on the floor and she's making weird noises sporadically because she really wants food, but I've already fed her a million times and unfortunately she has become a floor fatty and um, she's meant to be on a diet. So shh, bad girl. Um, So if you do hear something weird, please just ignore it. Um, So Itaewon Class... Is, you know, it's, as I record this, a really, really recent drama, um, 2020. It's a 16-episode drama. And I'm trying to think of how to describe it. Like, it's uh, it's an underdog drama. It's absolutely um, almost like a, I guess it's a revenge story, um, but it's also very gentle and very emotional and interesting. Um, for me, I find it interesting because I think – it just, it, it's not like anything particularly new. It's not particularly fresh in terms of the overall story, you know, like underdog and revenge and, you know, a small business against a conglomerate, like all that stuff's been done before. And yet it does have this something, it has something about it that really, really, really pulled me along um, for the ride. Like I was very, very invested in this story and in in these characters and in this world. And there's just something um, very emotional about the whole thing that really made me feel a lot and also made me cry, like fully made me cry on multiple occasions. Um, I really cared about these people. So this drama is based on a webcomic um, which looks pretty cool, but obviously, which I haven't read. I don't know if there's an English language translation of that or not. Um, I really, really enjoyed this drama. And I think also for me, I watched it while it aired. Um, and obviously, you know, over a time period that was pretty tumultuous in terms of real life and world shit. Um, And I really found this to be, you know, a really good focus. Um, (laughs) Like every time I picked up an episode, I would sink into it. Like it's like I ceased to exist outside of this show. And it was just like, that's what I needed right then. I needed it so badly. Um, So yeah, I think the show looks really good, but it's not like a particular particularly gorgeous show or anything like that in terms of the way it's shot but it's certainly like it's not ugly either it's just maybe a little bit more functional in the way that it's shot and I think I think really the winner of this has has just got to be the characters but maybe it's just 
pretty much Park So Jun. <laughs> he's like, he's incredible in this. He's unbelievably likable. He's the absolute linchpin and cornerstone of the entire story of everything about this show works because it rests on his shoulders. And obviously that's in terms of the writing as well. His character is unbelievably likable. Like he is just this man that like he's incredible. He's someone that you want to know in real life. He's like literally the actual real ideal man, I think. Like, you know, we all talk about K-drama heroes that we might love and love to marry, but realistically, a lot of them are very childish and petty and whatever. And um, Park Sojun's character in this, whose name is Park Seroyi, Seoroi, Seoroi, it's a complicated name. It's um, very different for a Korean name as well in terms of how many syllables that are in there, very hard for me to say. But his character, Sayoroi, is perfect, like unbelievable. And also you watch it and you feel inspired to be a good person in the way that this man is a good person. And I think that must be why my emotions are so caught up into Itaewon class as a drama that I feel just swept me up in, in a crazy way for such a small, gentle story in a lot of ways. You know, I think it is, it's, it's not anything that particularly blow you away new. And yet I also know ratings wise, it did really, really well in Korea as well. And maybe it's just there's something so wholesome about this guy, um, Park Seoroi, something so good about him. Maybe it's just a nice time for that, you know, to really root for someone who is a good person. And I think it's really interesting because like in terms of stories and writing stories, antiheroes are fantastic. You know, they're where it's at in terms of complex storytelling and, you know, characterization of someone who's kind of tiptoeing the line and doing bad things, but, you know, the writer makes you like them anyway, or makes you, um, you know, identify with them or still root for them, even when they're trying to do bad things. I mean, it's such an interesting concept to have an antihero. And I think antiheroes are so popular that sometimes the idea of a hero as a main character of a story who is literally just a straight up and down good person. <laughs> like it's almost less appealing because it feels less meaty or it feels less edgy or it feels less, I don't know, hooky or interesting. Um, and I think personally, like in terms of writing and stories, I mean, that's one of the biggest problems with Superman as a character and why, you know, Batman movies are generally more interesting because there's grit, right? Batman walks a line. He's trying to figure out how to do the right thing, but not succumb to the darkness. Whilst Superman is, he's a good dude. He's very, he's got some good morals and he's going to be good and he's going to do good stuff. And that's a little bit boring, you know, I think not in real life, in real life, good, nice people are the absolute top shit. They are the best. But in terms of stories and worlds that writers create, someone with a bit of darkness in them is endlessly fascinating, particularly if you can make them likable as well as, you know, unlikable. And I think because of that, antiheroes have become so popular, you know, they've really just sort of taken over like flawed heroes. And it was a really, really interesting experience for me watching this show about a man who isn't really flawed. You know, he he does have some 
he gets so focused, I suppose, on this revenge goal that he needs a little bit of reminding towards the end of the drama that maybe it's time to let go, it's time to breathe, it's time to be happy and also to realise the joy of his life, like actually live his life instead of always working, you know, razor sharp focus for the future. But that's really his only flaw in a lot of ways. Other than that, Park Seoroi is perfect. He is non-judgmental. He would never, ever judge another human being. He understands that everyone is different, that everyone walks different paths and everyone has redemption. He's just incredible in terms of the way he relates to the people around him and how loyal he is and I'm just gonna like wax on and on and on about him which isn't really the point of this discussion I'm supposed to be telling you guys what the story is and all that kind of shit um I loved him and I loved Park So Joon playing this character I'm a big fan of Park So Joon I think he's a fantastic actor I think he's great He's amazing in this, like, and it's kind of one of those performances. It kind of reminds me of how I felt when I was watching um, the actor You Are In in Chicago Typewriter. In this drama, um, Park So Joon is it's just like a full performance. You know, it's not just an actor in a suit doing some facial expressions. Like his whole persona and physicality, the way he moves and the way he relates and the way he looks is just so good he's such a good actor and he just radiates warmth and likability but also such strength you know that he will never bend (laughs) on his principles and the things that he thinks are morally right and I found that so endlessly inspiring it's just incredible um so I'm really just crapping on about him a lot but that probably gives you an impression of how I felt about this drama um I, th- I wonder, I, d- I don't think it's just Park So Joon. I think it's the writing as well around his character, but his performance mixed with that has really created something very, very special and this really warm core that glues all the pieces of this show together and just really created something special, I think, um, out of something that could have been really ordinary. Um, that's how I view it anyway. And I think that's my feeling surrounding it. Um, I really, really liked this show. I really looked forward to every episode and I just sunk into it. Like I really disappeared into it. It was, it was really cool. So next up, I'm going to tell you like what the fuck it's actually about (laughs) instead of just talking about how awesome Park So Jude is. All right, so what is Itaewon class actually about? Well, let me tell you. So the first two episodes of this drama were perfect to me. Um, I, I can't even remember why, but I was having like a super stressful week for whatever reason. My cat's meowing. <laughs> um, and I just was desperate for some K-drama distraction and I was having trouble finding something that would stick. I kept trying first episodes and for some reason they just weren't giving me that, you know, magic that I was needing. And then I watched the first two episodes of this show and it was just everything I wanted it to be. The emotions were so intense. Um, I, you know, from all the promos, which are very much like this kind of ragtag, cool team of young people living 
living their dreams in Itaewon and small business owners and, you know, going up against conglomerates. The way that this show starts was very, very different to what I expected. It was much more mellow in terms of tragedy, like melodramatic. I don't want to say melodramatic. It wasn't over the top, but it was um, like like a, a slow, dark, sad melodrama. It was very moving and beautiful and dark and unbelievably sad because they make you really, really love this main main character, Sayoroi, so much immediately. And they also, you know, put him through the ringer in that those first two episodes in a way that is very heartbreaking. So um, the first thing that you have to do if you decide to watch Itaewon class is absolutely suspend your disbelief at seeing the actor Park Sojun, who is an extremely good-looking, attractive man, not boy, he is a man, he's a 30-something-year-old man, and you watch him put on, like, a little boy school suit and pretend to be, like, a fucking 17-year-old. Um, so that <laughs> you just you just got to go along with that. You'd be like, yeah, sure, that huge grown-up, huge man is a tiny boy and we'll just we'll go with that. Um, he does a great job. Park So Joon is a wonderful actor. He does an excellent job, but he's too fucking old to play a high school student. Like he just, it's insane. Um, but I also get why they didn't get a younger counterpart to play this role because, you know, Park So Joon is Sayroi. Sayroi, <laughs> this guy's name, gosh. Um, he, he embodies it and immediately he's so likable that I think, you know, as a viewer, suspending your belief that, you know, he could be a small teenager, you just go along with it. And I think it, it works better than them bringing in a smaller actor to play that role because you really, really connect with him you know, that actor as that character. So it does work. But basically, as a small teenager, um, the enormous Park Sojun is um, moved to a new high school by his dad. So he, he has a single dad and he and his dad are very, very close. And this relationship, I adored their relationship. It Everything in the show keeps circling around to it. And there's this beautiful motive and theme um, that I'll talk about a bit later, which was one, it was probably my favorite thing about this entire show. The writing of it was so fucking clever. I just adored it. But um, uh, Sayroi's dad works for this huge sort of food conglomerate, um, which was, is run by, you know, this, this old evil dude. Um, I'm just writing down a note here before I forget. Um, cause I wanted to talk about the old evil dude a bit more later. Um, but this guy, this, you know, old evil dude has basically built this multi-zillion dollar, huge food company. It's the best top one in Korea. And, um, Sayoroi's dad works for him as sort of like kind of high up, but still sort of a ground level sort of manager, but, you know, really close with the main guy and a lot of the main managers in this big conglomerate food industry business. And um, Sayoroi is being moved to this new high school where the old evil guy, that's just what I'm going to call him. He's the old man, you know, he's a bad dude. Um, chairman Jung, something like that. Um, so he's the chairman's son, um, actually goes to this high school and obviously Sayoroi's dad is kind of like oh I hope you get along with my boss's son like hopefully you guys can be mates and Sayoroi turns up at school and walks in and the conglomerate dude's son whose name is Gunwon so Gunwon is there he has 
piss yellow hair um, that forever kind of made me think of him as Pisshead, which I think is a really terrible nickname for this poor actor who did a very good job of being very unlikable in this drama. Um, so Gunwon, Aka Pisshead, um, just starts wailing on another student within two minutes, like absolutely treating this boy in this in their class like an absolute piece of shit. And I really, it's so upsetting to watch. And it's even more upsetting because the guy who's playing this character of that's getting abused, um, his name uh, is David Lee. And he is in heaps of stuff. He was in Let's Fight Ghost as one of the really two cute like side characters. I love this actor. He is adorable. He's an amazing actor. He is just wonderful. He's very, very cute and sweet. And I fucking hated seeing him getting bullied. And also I feel like he was criminally underused in this drama because he's a wonderful actor and he was just barely in it basically. But anyway, Sayeroi has this intense this intense sense of justice. And so he sees this pisshead boy wailing on David Lee and just fucking this kid up. And Sayroy immediately stands up and is like, you can't do that. Like, stop it. And the pisshead boy is like, don't you know who I am? I'm a big conglomerate, blah, 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 blah. And everyone else in the class is terrified of him. Even the teachers, like no one will stand up to this fucking horrible pisshead boy. Um, but Sayori is just not afraid of anything. And so to stop Pisshead from punching David Lee in the face again, um, Sayori punches this kid out. So he punches Pisshead. Um, and then the consequences are that both their dads get called to the school and the evil old man conglomerate chairman Jung, chairman Jung is like, um, I will allow you to get off if you, you know, scot free. Um, if you say Roy gets on his knees and apologizes to my horrible pisshead son and say Roy's like, I can't fucking do that. I can't apologize to this horrible pisshead. Like I did nothing wrong. How dare you make me do that? And, um, you know, he says to this chairman, like my dad raised me to do the right thing and to never do anything that I know is wrong. And it's, you know, it's the first moment that you start to see what this boy I'm doing boy with like little inverted finger, you know, italics boy, um, this grown-up man pretending to be a teenager is what you, when you get a sense of who he is as a human being and who he is is inspiring and fucking awesome. Um, but he says no and of course there is consequences. His dad loses his job immediately um, and his dad takes him out, Sayori out to a pub and Sayori's like, you know, I'm too young to drink alcohol, even though really he's <laughs> parks. I just really can't get over like him pretending to be this little kid who's never drunk alcohol before. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's beside the point. It's like, it's when you're watching it, you just totally get lost in it. It's just beautiful and it's very moving and you forget that you're watching a grown man pretending to be a small child. <laughs> um, so Sayori, you know, he's kind of worried about his dad and he he's just really horrified about what his dad thinks and he feels so indescribably guilty. He has cost his dad his career and his, his life and the thing his dad likes to do. And, you know, he feels so terrible, like he's really, really fucked up. And his dad pours him a drink of soju and gives it over to Sayoroi and is like, I'm proud of you. You did the right thing. Like you are someone you know, he, he just is so proud of his son and who his son is. And he really, I guess, solidifies um, Sayeroi's 
belief in doing things that are morally correct, no matter the consequences to himself, like do the right thing always um, and protect people that are weaker than you. And it's really amazing. I So this is the first in a scene that kept recurring through the drama, which I will talk about later. And I adored this scene. So after they've both had a cry and they've both had this heart to heart and they both have a drink of alcohol of, um, soju. Um, Sayori's dad is like, you know, son, like, how does it taste? And Sayori is crying. Um, but he says that it tastes, I can't remember. Oh, fuck. Oh gosh, how embarrassing. So I forgot, but, um, basically Sayori says that it tastes sweet. He says that the alcohol the soju tastes sweet and his dad's like that's because you know that means that you've had a hard day and you needed that and it's just this really really very small but touching moment between father and son um and it just means a lot in that moment I really really loved it and then everything goes to absolute shit um so Sayori and his dad decide to open their own business everything's looking really good for them and then Sayori's dad gets run over in a hit and run. Um, no one knows it at this point, but it's by Pisshead in his cool sports car. And he dies. Sayroy's dad dies. At the funeral, Sayroy comes across evidence, which he shouldn't have seen, but he did, um, that it was indeed Pisshead who drove the car. And the person who has admitted to doing it and who's going to jail for life for this hit and run is actually someone else who's clearly been paid off by this very rich family to kind of cover up this big scandal and crime. And Sayori goes fucking mental and he runs off to the hospital where Pisshead is because he's been hit in this car crash. And he bashes him up, Sayori does, and to the point where Sayori is 100% definitely about to kill Pisshead. Like he has a rock in his hand and he is going to do it. And it is such an intense moment and it's so full on and it's so sad. Like all this stuff, like by this point, you love this guy so much. Seeing him suffer in the way that he does is so painful to watch. He gets stopped in time and he ends up going to jail for attempted murder and he's in there for years. And just before, you know, he kind of settles into being in there, um, the conglomerate Chairman Jung guy, the evil old dad, turns up and sort of offers him another opportunity to get on his knees and apologize. And of course, Sayori is furious and refuses. And he also, at this point, really solidifies the idea of what he wants from the future and I guess getting revenge. And that's really the setup of the start of the drama. It's amazing. Like, I don't know how they, you know, it, when I say it like that, it doesn't sound like anything unique, right? Or anything that different from other dramas. I feel like I've seen it all before, but there's a lot of emotion in those first two episodes. And I think just because you end up liking this boy, this man boy so much, um, you really, really care about how things unfold and your heart really, really aches for him as he suffers through some really terrible shit. Um, the drama kind of skips forward a bit and we see that when he gets out of jail, you know, he heads off eventually and ends up on a fishing trawler where he works for something like seven years or something crazy. I can't even remember now. Um, but basically, you know, he has this mad plan and He's going to work really hard, make money, and then he's going to go to Itaewon, which is a cool neighborhood in Seoul, kind of kind of near Namsan Namsan Tower, 
Um, it's kind of like a, a very multicultural uh, neighborhood with a lot of expats um, from overseas and a lot of young Korean people and just it's very trendy and hip and stuff and he wants to go there and he wants to start his own pub um, so like a little restaurant pub place and basically he wants to go up against this mad conglomerate and he has secret plans to you know make his pub the best pub in Korea and then open franchises and then actually properly compete with Junga, which is, you know, the big conglomerate food company. And he's just so like dedicated to this goal that, you know, throughout the drama, which is obviously what the drama is about, him actually achieving that. And it starts off in this really lo-fi little pub with this ragtag team of people and slowly little by little, they climb up and up and up with a lot of, you know, emotional dramas um, along the way. So that's really the setup and the initial overview. Um, so now I'm going to talk a little bit about characters before getting into the stuff I liked. And then the stuff, I don't want to say I didn't like, but then just some of the stuff I was a bit iffy about. Okay, so in terms of the characters, like I won't go on <laughs> any more than I already have about say say Roy. Um but he was definitely my favorite character. Like for me, the whole show revolves around him. He is literally the reason to watch it. And it's more than just loving him or thinking that Park Soo Joon is, a, you know, a super attractive man. It's it's the character himself is very, very inspiring. He is someone that I would like to be. I would like to be that strong about my morals and what I believe is right. And I would like to be that non-judgmental about the people around me and treat everyone with as much care as this man does. Like I found him very, very inspiring. And therefore I suppose I was just immediately very, very loyal to him and needed to follow the drama through to find out, you know, what would happen to him um, because I loved him so much. I think, I don't know. I honestly am wondering if he might be one of my favorite characters ever in a K-drama. Um, I've already got quite a few, so it's not like the favorite, but one of my favorites, I think he might be. He was, he's an extraordinary person. Um, so the other character I wanted to talk about is the female lead played by an actress called Kim Dami. So I've never seen Kim Dami before ever. I don't think, um, and she plays a character called Jo Yiso. Uh, so Yiso is interesting. So I did find this all very interesting because the character Seiroi is so good and nice. I think, and hardworking, I guess, like you, you kind of feel like what kind of female lead will they pair him with, you know? And I guess the obvious kind of thought is that he would get paired with like a candy type, like a, you know, a, a, a suffering, hardworking girl. And then they can both sort of complement each other because they both see the world in the same way and feel the same way about things. Um, and what this drama does, which is very, very, very interesting, is not that they bring in a character like Yiso. So Yiso is unlike, I'm sure there must be another female lead like her, but I can't really think of one off the top of my head. She felt very, very original and unique. And interestingly enough, not always very likable. And I, I thought that that was a very just a really interesting angle for the writers of this show to take to kind of risk 
pairing someone as you know beautiful and incredible as Seiroi with someone who at times viewers aren't really going to like. Um, Yiso is the idea is that she is a what a sociopath so like she doesn't feel empathy she doesn't feel things for other people and she can be very very cutthroat and ruthless in the way that she acts and also the things that she says like she she's very very blunt and she does not care about other people's feelings um at all she's also very intelligent and very successful and has never once in her life not gotten what she wants so she you know all these hijinks happen and she comes across seroi and she is immediately taken by him. Like, obviously he's gorgeous, but on top of that, he he moves her heart, I think, in a way that she hasn't experienced. And I, I just found it really interesting. Like, she's so immediately into him and she falls in love with him very, very quickly. And she is devoted. And she also clashes with him a lot so she becomes manager of this pub that Seiroi is trying to make successful and she has a very different idea for how things should be done um she's much more ruthless in a business sense whilst he is about people and loyalty and looking after the, his employees so they really really clash and every time they clash she wonders why she likes him so much and wonders why he can't change and eventually she starts doing everything within her power for him to make him successful to make him happy to make him you know achieve his goals like she really just devotes everything about herself <laughs> just for him but she still can't really understand him and there's this great scene um where she's sort of complaining about you know, not understanding him and why is he like this and why can't he kind of take this shortcut that she wants to take and do this ruthless thing that she knows will make them more successful. And one of the other characters says to her, like, yeah, but he could do that. But would you still like him this way if he did that? Like, is it not the thing that you like about him is that he is always good? And it was a moment in the drama that really made me I think understand Yiso a little bit better because she can be very unlikable. Like I'm not into cruelty and she can be quite cruel and I don't think she means to be. She just doesn't understand emotion and feelings and doesn't understand when she hurts people. She doesn't understand why people get hurt. She just experiences the world in a different way to other people. Um, but I think what I, I in the end understood about Yiso is that for her because of the way she sees the world, she kind of latches on to Seiroi almost like her own personal moral compass. She begins to trust him wholeheartedly in a way that if he tells her something is wrong, like morally wrong, she begins to pivot towards what he thinks is right. And she uses him, not uses in a bad way, but I mean like she uses him as a guide point on how to live a positive life, I think. And she still has heaps of slip ups. She still says terrible things like honestly, right to the very last episode where she's sort of like, you know, lording it over the second female lead that she's finally, you know, got the romance she wanted and has won, you know, their little fight or whatever. So like, she doesn't change in that way. 
I guess, but she also does evolve and transform into a better person, not because she personally herself learns more or learns how to do that, but because she latches on to Seiroi and he's a good person. And I think that says a lot about Yiso and what she wants from life, that she doesn't want to be a bad person that everyone hates or she doesn't want to do terrible things because if she did, she could have latched onto someone like Pisshead or Chairman Jung and gone the full route into being a business success story by stepping on everyone along the way. But she doesn't. She might not really know how to be morally good or have her own moral compass, but she still somewhere wants to be good enough that she attaches herself to the one man that she's ever met who will never, ever, ever do a morally bad thing in terms of hurting other people. So I found that really, really interesting. And I think I just found the choice to have a female lead like that really interesting. Um, I, I didn't expect it. You know, I really didn't expect her to be so complicated and difficult. And I kind of like it because um, there's another thing in stories and, you know, in writing, I suppose, that... I guess in terms of characterization, it's a lot less acceptable to write a unlikable female character, particularly if they're a main character and not a villain, like a lead, I guess, or a heroine who is also unlikable and does unlikable things. There is a lot of area when you're writing a man character, I suppose, to do that if you want to. Um, in your books, just say, well, let's talk about books because I'm an author, but if you create a book and the lead hero is very complex and walks on the gray side and does really terrible things, but it's a redemption story, people love that shit. But if you try and do that with a female character, people like it less. And I do feel like it's a bit of a sexist thing that girls are expected to be a certain way. You know, they're expected to be good or something um, and there's just less room for unlikable female characters or at least traditionally in the past it's certainly been that way like for sure and you know as we more and more enter these modern times um, the stories that we tell obviously evolve and transform and change and it is becoming a lot more acceptable to have an unlikable female lead in books and movies and stuff but at the same time it still draws a lot of lot more criticism than an unlikable male lead will. Um, it's really strange, you know. It's it's just very strange. I don't really know why, but I guess you can see in I guess one of the points of a drama like Itaewon Class is I really do feel like they're trying to push boundaries and change the status quo. Like they're trying to show you a different thing, um, and that probably comes down to Seiroi you know, not being an anti-hero type, he's just good. And, you know, there's a lot of diversity in the cast, which I think is handled really well. And I guess in a lot of ways, having Yiso be quite unlikable at times is part of that. It's part of maybe breaking down those boundaries and those kind of character stereotypes where unless a woman is the villain, she has to be a good person or be mainly good, you know, like not be properly, properly fundamentally flawed in the way that Yiso is. And, you know, I've watched loads of dramas where the female lead is, um, you know, she yells a lot or she's really short tempered or, you know, stuff like that. But 
I guess I'm thinking of the main character right now from Let's Fight Ghost, played by Kim So Hyun. You know, she's um, very high maintenance at times, you know, and she needs a lot of attention and she's quite haughty and, and can be a bit difficult, but she's also fucking adorable throughout the whole drama. Someone like Yiso, she's not fucking adorable the whole drama. Like, she is a fundamentally flawed person. And even at the very end, she she can't change this is the way her brain is wired um and one thing that this does that's very very interesting is the development of the romance is not very typical in terms of dramas i think um particularly the more modern dramas, which I feel these days really, really favor um, having, you know, two guys and one girl, was this drama is very much one guy with two girls in terms of a love triangle, which is a little bit different now. I think that used to be a lot more popular, um, you know, back when the Halley Who wave was first sort of um, sweeping the world, let's say, <laughs> with some of the older dramas, I used to see that a lot, but not so much now. And the interesting thing is that Sayeroi is absolutely dedicated to the second female lead. Um, he is devoted to her. Um, we'll talk about her later and that whole relationship later. But he is not interested in Yiso as a romantic partner, but she's completely and utterly devoted and in love with him the entire space or span of this drama. And one thing that is very, very interesting, because she's it's quite mean, you know, she can be very cruel, she can be very unlikable, she can be mean. And Sayeroi is constantly having to sort of check her and be like, don't do that, that's shit, you're being shit, stop that. You really wonder how romance can blossom between them. You know how she feels about him, but it's really, really hard to see how someone like him is going to fall for her. And if I'm honest, he comes to rely on her. He absolutely respects her. He desperately needs her in his life. And it's only in the last three episodes that he comes to realize after they've already known each other by like five or six or fucking seven years by this point, I don't know how long. It's only that point in the last three episodes that he realizes that he wants her and that he is in love with her and he just hasn't really noticed because he is so, Sayeroi is so focused on his goal. He doesn't really have a lot of time for, I think, internal reflection <laughs> and um, understanding himself, I think, really. Um, he's a bit of a straightforward person. Um, so, yeah, it was really interesting. Another thing I really liked about Yiso, um, which I think helped me find her very believable, is she really fights for Sayeroi's affections, like, majorly particularly against the second female lead. And halfway through the drama, it, it all comes to light and she basically confesses. And he's like, don't like me. I don't feel that way about you. I'm sorry, but like, that's how it is. And he's very adamant about it. And she walks away in tears, absolutely crushed and broken. And I think it's the first time in her high achieving life, she has ever not got what she wanted. And I think that is a a moment of character growth for her in that she does experience a bit of a change from from that of course she does turn back up to work and start telling him every day that she loves him which is very it's quite moving and sweet in the drama but in real life like if you imagined that you had a co-worker who told you that they were in love with you and you're like nah, I'm not feeling that. I'm actually not in love with you. I'm in love with someone else. And then every day they came in and hit on you in the workplace. <laughs> like that's super harassing. It's super bad. But because it's a drama, 
we'll just go with it. But I have to say, if the genders had been reversed, that would have been seriously uncool. Um, but apparently when girls harass you um, sexually at work, it's fine. So that's all good. <laughs> and, you know, she got what she wanted in the end. So I, I kind of sometimes had a bit of problems with it. But at the same time, if you just sink into the drama and forget about the real world kind of correlations and problems <laughs> in terms of that kind of a, a working, a workplace sort of uh, romance, um, one-sided romance I should say like if you just forget about the real world stuff it's it works really well in the drama and I really liked it and I have to say in terms of the romance just while I'm talking about it there is this scene in I think it's like the third last episode that I fucking loved and um Sayuroi basically is talking to this this other dude um who's one of the main characters who I may or may not talk about later in this review, um, called Gunsu, who's the younger brother of, you know, the big conglomerate and Pissheads younger brother and blah, blah, blah. But he's completely, Gunsu is completely in love with Yiso and has been trying to win her over for as many years as she's been trying to win over Sayuroi. Um, and Sayuroi has finally realized that he's in love with Yiso. And basically he sits down with Gunsu and they're sort of half enemies by this point. And Sayuroi is just like, yeah, so look, I'm sorry but I'm going to go for this. And he's just like, it's such a good scene. And poor Gunsu is just like, you know, gaping, mouth dropped open, like, and he knows what this means. It means he's got no, zero chance ever. And he's just so like shocked and he's like, no, no, no. And um, Sayuroi is just like, you know, very stony faced, determined as is his way. And he's just like going to go for it. And I have to say, like, I don't want to be weird, but he's a very like, I feel so embarrassed. Sayori is very sexy in this scene. Like, he's a very, like, it's very attractive. I really enjoyed it. So there you go. That's an embarrassing admission for you. It was awesome. <laughs> All right. So I feel like I'm sort of running out of time on this discussion. And I feel like I've barely got into the chunky stuff I wanted to talk about because all I've been talking about is how great Park Sojun is. I love him so much. Um, so anyway, uh, the stuff that I liked, um, like I said, I loved the first two episodes. I found them extremely moving. Um, I've already talked on and on about Park Sojun and his character, Sayuroi, adored them. Um, one thing I love about this drama, which I found really handled well. Um, sometimes Korean dramas are not so great at handling diversity or, um, like I guess, uh, sexual preference, diversity and things like that, that they can, it can be a bit not great. Like even sometimes I find when K-dramas are trying to be progressive, sometimes they can still be a little bit constrictive and old fashioned in how they view certain things. And I was amazed at how this drama handled, you know, Sayori is an ex-con. Um, he hires another dude who's an ex-gangster. So like there's no, I guess, um, judgment. They also have a black dude who is Korean, like half Korean in their group. And he has to deal with racism and stuff like that. And Sayori again, is just like, you know, he, he would just never judge anyone. Like he would never be racist. And if other people are, he absolutely will not stand for it. It is so cool. Um, and then really interestingly, um, and I really loved this whole storyline, there is a character called Hyunyi who at the beginning of the drama is a boy and then um, sh she's actually transgender and is a girl by the end of the drama. So Hyunyi 
is one of the employees. I really, really loved her whole storyline. I thought it was handled really, really well. I love that she got a happy ending and there's quite a strong hint of romance with the kind of ex-con, ex-gangster dude. And it was really, really moving because she had to deal with so much fucking shit from everyone who who doesn't understand it, but is unable to accept it. And I think there's so many things that we are never going to understand in this world, but if someone feels a certain way about their own body and wants to be something, I just like, if it's not harming anyone, I don't understand what's wrong with that. And I really loved the very positive way that it was handled in this drama, but particularly I loved Sayroi's reactions. Um, I hated some of the other people's reactions to Hyunyi when they find out that she is transgender. Like for instance, Yiso is super uncool. She's basically like, fire her. She's transgender. Get rid of her. It was gross. But Yiso, you know, that's her whole thing. She is prickly and very unlikable at times. Like she is not meant to be a good girl or a good person. She is flawed. And she learns through these interactions that Hyunyi is a person and Hyunyi deserves her respect and her recognition. And if Hyunyi, you know, identifies as being a woman, then Hyunyi can be a woman. Like it's not up to Yiso to say so or not. So I, I really liked the way all this stuff was handled. Um, and particularly, I just loved Sayoroi's absolute straight, no judgment clause of anybody ever. It was beautiful. It's It was like so inspiring, the idea of just being you know, nice to everyone and looking after everyone and being kind and being thoughtful and having empathy. I just thought it was such a beautiful message. So I, yeah, I loved that shit. I thought it was just done super well. Um, so my absolute favorite thing about this drama, other than Park Seo Joon and his character, <laughs> was this kind of sweet and bitter life theme. So as I mentioned um, at the beginning, Sayoroi gets taken to a bar by his dad um, before the shit really, really kicks off. And he's so worried his dad's going to be disappointed in him. And instead, his dad, you know, tells him that he's proud of his son. They drink um, soju together for the first time. And his dad asks him, how does it taste? And Sayoroi's like, it tastes sweet. And he's like, oh, it's because you had a hard day. So Sayoroi, you know, his dad dies. His life falls apart. He goes to prison. He comes out of prison and the first thing he does is go to a little nearby bar and he gets two glasses, um, you know, gets a bottle of soju and he gets the two little shot glasses, one on either side of the table. His dad isn't there, but he imagines it and he has his drink and he imagines his dad asking him, how does it taste? And Sayori says bitter. And it is just, it's a devastating moment as a viewer. Like you love this man so much and he is in so much pain, which is expressed in such a simple, clean way through him saying that the alcohol tastes bitter. His whole life is bitter. He feels ruined and wrecked inside. Um, I thought it was beautiful. I really, really love kind of motifs or returning themes like this in stories. I think it's really clever. I love, um, you know, like, I guess what it is, is, you know, obviously an external representation of Sayoroi's internal emotions. And through him saying, you know, that it's bitter, we understand everything as a viewer that we need to about his inner state right then and how fucked up he is. And it is absolutely a devastating moment. Like I was just, you know, I was almost in tears, just like, it was so moving and sad. 
So um, Sayori, you know, he goes off after this point onto his little fucking fishing boat for like seven fucking years or whatever the fuck he does. I can't remember. And then he starts up his pub. And he goes through all these hardships for years. You know, the pub nearly fails. He nearly gets closed down. Um, the conglomerate keeps trying to squash him. And then eventually all this stuff happens. And Yiso manages to record um, Pisshead, you know, the idiot son, actually admitting that he ran over Sayori's dad with his car and gets a recording of this which of course goes viral and the police get involved and eventually the evil chairman just cuts his son loose which was very interesting because I wasn't sure if he'd do it or not again great writing you just don't know how people are going to react to things sometimes like they really make it so you as a viewer cannot tell what's going to happen which I think is very clever um, and Sayori, you know, finally his nemesis, or at least the son of his nemesis, but one of his two biggest mortal enemies in the world has been defeated. This pisshead boy has gone to jail. So Sayori goes to his father's grave. He got arrested halfway through his father's funeral. So he's never been there. And he cries, you know, it's on the top of this mountain. It's really beautiful. And he cries to his dad and says that he's really, really sorry that he didn't come and visit his dad earlier. Like it's been so many years, but he says that he felt embarrassed too, because he couldn't even finish his father's funeral. And all these years, you know, he felt too embarrassed to come. But now that he has managed to put Pisshead behind bars, you know, finally, after all these years, he feels like he, I guess he can be a good enough son to be there without being embarrassed. And it's so sad, you know, he couldn't even visit his father's grave because he felt so like a piece of shit, you know, that he wasn't doing well in his life. So finally, he feels good enough to be there. And he pours a glass of um, soju for his dad and one for himself and he drinks it. And then we hear the voiceover of his imagination as his dad asks him, how does it taste? And there is this unbelievable moment where Park So Jun is just there and you're looking at his face. And as a viewer, I was on the edge of my seat because I didn't know what he was going to say. Is it, does the alcohol taste sweet now that he's finally defeated one of his adversaries? Or is it still bitter because he's still hollow inside? And I really didn't know what he was going to say, which is amazing writing. And it's such a small little thing. It's just a word. And yet I was hanging out for it. Like so fucking clever. I wish I could write a scene like this. And I was so, so, so hoping that Sayori would say that the alcohol tasted sweet. It would have been such a relief after the suffering, this man that you just adore, that I adore, had gone through. I wanted it so badly, but I didn't know what he would say. And in the end, Sayori says, bitter, the alcohol tastes bitter. And I surprised myself by just bursting into tears, like completely. It's such an incredible moment where just everything comes together, like all these threads of storyline and writing and in such a moving emotional moment. And it's so sad because it means that even though he's achieved this one goal, like it doesn't really mean anything. His dad's still dead. Like he's still the other conglomerate guy still running his business. Like what was it all for? What was, you know, what was um, Seroy's life for? Like, what are all the struggles for? And it's just sad. Either way, his dad's still dead. So, he, you know, Sayori's life, even after everything he's achieved, all the friends he's made, everything he's done, his life is still bitter. And it 
is so sad. Oh, I was really upset. And then, of course, um, you know, this whole motif comes through at the very end of the drama again. And I loved it. I loved it. So the very end of the drama, the very last scene is, you know, Sayori and all his mates sitting on the, the roof of his nice bar and he's achieved everything he wanted to. But more than that, he has let go of the anger and this drive for revenge. He is now living positively and happily. And, you know, he's drinking with his friends and he hears his dad's voice asking him, you know, how does it, how does the alcohol taste? And um, Sayori, you know, is just a close up of his face looking in the camera. And then he doesn't answer and the drama finishes. But you know, you know what he would have said. You know he would have said sweet. I adored it. I loved it. It's such, it's, it's just beautiful writing. That's all I can say. I should probably stop talking about it. But as a writer, I was fucking impressed and blown away. And it's one of those moments where you come across a story with a thread that you're like, I wish I'd written that and I want to write something as good as that. Um, so yeah, I thought that was wonderful. It was really clever. Um, another thing I really loved was Pisshead, weirdly enough. Um, I fucking hated him, but they do a really, really, really good job job in this drama. Like he goes mental at the end. He goes just full mad villain at the very end. But for most of the drama, he's a very nuanced character in terms of they really explain why he is the way he is, the way that he's been brought up has created, he's a complete monster. And it's barely even his fault, you know, like because of how he's been brought up and how he's been treated. You see how desperate he is for the love of his father. Like it's a complete tragedy. And while the writers show you why this man is as bad as he is and done the terrible things he has, and you actually feel a lot of pity for him, you never once find him likable. And I thought that was, again, really, really clever writing of a villain. Like you soften or not soften him, but you give him shades of gray by giving him some good points or showing you some tragedy or explaining who he is, but not in a way that, you know, he becomes an antihero and he needs a redemption arc because he's a bad dude. He doesn't get a redemption arc. Um, So again, just really clever writing. I really liked it. Um, the other thing I liked, again, in terms of clever writing, um, the backstory of the big conglomerate baddie bad, the big old dude who's really bad. Um, you know, we find out that he's grown up in a really tumultuous time in Korean history when, you know, Korea, you know, he grew up in a slum. He had no money. He watched his siblings starve to death and die. And he vowed to himself at that time that he would, you know, be a self-made man. He would make money and he would keep his family safe. And you feel sorry for him when you hear these things. But obviously, you know, he's so far gone. He's He does become a true villain. Um, and again, very clever writing. Um, there was about a million things that I loved about this show, but I'll, I'll cap that there. And then I'm just going to very quickly talk about some stuff that I liked a little bit less. And then I'm going to freaking finish this huge discussion. All right, so just very quickly, um, not stuff I didn't like, but stuff that I liked less. Um, I didn't really love the second female lead, but I feel like that was a good thing. Like that wasn't a, a problem that the show had. Like I don't think she's meant to be super, super likable. Um, the reason I didn't is because she just hangs on to Sayroi for like fucking 12 years um, and just kind of expects him to love her unconditionally forever without – you know, there's no reason why they can't be together. I honestly don't understand why they can't be together. I did understand her as a person in that 
you know, she comes from an orphanage and she gets offered opportunities and she takes them and she feels guilty about it. Um, but I, I get why she did that. But then, you know, she stays working at this this horrible conglomerate and her boss does terrible things and she just goes along with it. And I, I kind of get that too. You know, I've even found myself working for a company that I didn't morally agree with. And I ended up being there for like five fucking years, even though it made me feel like a shit person every day. But, you know, you get into these financial kind of situations that can be very, very hard to break out of. So I actually identified with her in terms of that and with her struggle in trying to be a good person, but also trying to feel financially secure and stable. And I'm very lucky that I managed to be brave enough eventually to walk away from that horrible situation and now live a very precarious life um, as an arts person in the arts sector, writing books and in publishing. <laughs> I'm a lot happier. I'm also a lot poorer, but that's fine. <laughs> Please buy my books. Um, <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't love her. So she's played by the actress Kwon Nara. Um, she plays a character, Sua. I just didn't love her, but that's because I wasn't rooting for her in the love triangle. And I found her frustrating. Um, I just found the idea that you could, you know, if she loves Sayroi, you know, if they were meant to be, they could have just fucking been at any point throughout the story. There was no reason that they couldn't be together or even kiss for like 15 years or 20 years or however fucking long it was. It was a bit, you know, I feel like she strung him along a little bit. She just wanted to have him like her. And then she admits she likes him, but she never does anything about it. So it was kind of a, I didn't love it. Um, so another thing that I thought I didn't totally love was Gunsu. So Gunsu is, um, he's the younger brother of Pisshead. He's sort of an illegitimate son to the big bad Junga group chairman. And He's just a little sweetheart at the start of the drama and he works at the pub with Sayroi and he really feels guilty when he finds out what his family has done to Sayroi. And then he just, you know, Yiso, who he's in love with, says to him very thoughtlessly, like, well, if you become like the owner of the big conglomerate Junga, you know, food group, maybe then I'll love you. Like she's just frankly, she's being a horrible person. She's just being cruel. She says things without thinking and she doesn't even mean it. And he just latches onto it and he's like, all right, I'll go do that. So she'll love me. Um, and I didn't really find it very believable that he turned dark so quickly, that he really messed up with his morals so quickly. Like I felt that his relationship with Sayroi was built on a lot more love than that. And I felt that that felt more true to me than Gunsu's very, very quick sort of turn to the dark side. And I know he's still like a conflicted character. And by the end, he has a little bit of redemption and stuff and he's still likable. Um, and I quite liked the storyline, the idea of him sort of, you know, trying out that side of the world, like being like, well, if I get nothing by being good, maybe I will cut corners and do bad things. And then maybe I'll be, you know, do better. But then obviously he discovers that there's no happiness in that way. So I totally get that as a storyline. I think it actually is good. I just didn't buy his very quick um, descent into darkness. I feel like maybe if they'd drawn that out over a lot longer, it would have made more sense to me. Um, in saying that, I did find his character quite good. I liked him. And I particularly found the very last scene that he's in where he says goodbye to Yiso. I found it very heartbreaking. Like he's very much in love with her. He's always been in love with her. And underneath everything that he's done, he's a very, very sweet person who really hasn't, um, received a lot of love or care in his life um, and has very nearly kind of fallen into the dark side and I think managed to steer away from it. And 
the way that he looks at her when she walks away, she's walking away to be with Sayeroi and be happy and have a good life. And the way that he looks at her with so much love and heartbreak, it was really sad. I felt really upset and I didn't really want her to get with him, but I did feel a bit heartbroken for him. I thought it was very sad. Um, another thing I didn't love is at the very end, um, you know, Sayori is really rich and um, the evil old chairman's whole empire has come crashing down and he's, you know, really sick and he's dying and everything's fucked. And then um, Sayori, you know, he goes to Sayori and is, is like on his knees and is like, save my company. And he starts crying and snotting on the floor and Sayori just sort of lets him do that. And he admits like this doesn't feel as good as I thought it would. But then he walks off and he, I don't like seeing old men crying on the floor. And I just don't like old people crying. It makes me upset. I don't enjoy it. Um, I don't, yeah, I just didn't love it. And I guess I felt sorry for him. And I guess he's a terrible person and I shouldn't. He's terrible, but I did. He'd done such awful things. And yet I just don't like seeing an old person crawling around on the floor crying and I kind of wanted someone to just help him up and in a way I think I wanted someone to show him the compassion that he was never big enough to show anyone else like you know beat them with kindness that kind of thing instead of maybe leaving him there I don't know I think that was how I felt about that scene I didn't love it but it was okay um so the end is you know, a bit bonkers, but I didn't really mind. There's a big kidnap. There's all crazy shit that happens. And one last thing I just did want to mention, um, that I did love when Sayori gets hurt during the end, like there's a big kidnap thing. He gets bashed up a bit or he's in a car accident. Um, not an accident. He gets run over by a car, (laughs) but anyway, he's basically dying and he goes on a trippy sort of, um, you know, mind dreamscape search where he meets his dad again and he kind of realizes that his revenge and his obsession with revenge is going to ruin his life and in that now it is time to let it go and it's time to live and it is such a beautiful scene I loved it it was so moving it's handled so well it was so clever and it all ties back into him realizing that he's in love with Yiso it was amazing and then when he wakes up from this coma he just starts crying And it's heartbreaking. It's like, you know, he's been through hell for so many years, like over a decade, and he's never kind of allowed himself to just let loose and feel the emotions that he does. And when he finally gives it all up, he just, he breaks apart and he just starts sobbing and sobbing. And there is nothing sadder than seeing, you know, a huge, tough grown man sobbing on a bed like it's really heartbreaking so and I thought it was beautiful like it was just written really well so I guess that brings me to the end um and I guess I answered my own question why is this show unique when realistically the story isn't um as well as Park So Joon just being an amazing actor who's able to carry the whole thing on his shoulders I think it comes down to the writing I think that the writers of the show managed to craft characters and little threads and story that actually turned something that could have been generic into something clever and cleverly written and unique. That is what I think. I think that's why this drama is so emotional and why it works. Um, I think they did a great job. I'm really super impressed. Um, 
my cat just jumped onto my desk. No. Um, yeah, that's it. That's it from me. Um, thank you so much for, for listening. As I talked about, it's a one class, the 2020 16 episode K-drama. Um, if you haven't seen it, other than the fact that I absolutely spoiled the whole thing for you, I reckon you should watch it. I think it's worth your time. It's a beautiful, emotional show. So it's time for my random thing of the week. I'm going to keep it super short and super silly. (laughs) I've got some jokes. They're really dumb jokes. They're basically dad jokes. So I'll tell you, I didn't try very hard for my random thing of this week and I didn't collect something beautiful or interesting to tell you guys. Um, So I'm going to tell you some stupid stuff instead. Ready? What's the best thing about Switzerland? I don't know, but the flag is a big plus. (laughs) Ka-ching! What do you call a pig that does karate? A pork chop. Uh, My boss told me, this is my favorite one. So this is the last one. This is the best one. My boss told me to have a good day. So I went home. (laughs) See, look, that one actually makes me laugh. I feel quite embarrassed. All right, that's enough of that, I think. That's the end of my random thing.